Church, let me invite you to open God's Word with me this morning to the book of Job. Job is found uh, in the Old Testament, and if uh, you open up a Bible about halfway and turn to the left just a little bit, you will run into Job after the book of Esther and before the book of Psalms. But today we begin uh, a new message series, a four-week series from the book of Job, um, titled When Life Goes Sideways. You know, I'm fortunate to have married into a very close uh, family. Growing up, I, I grew up in a home where everybody sort of had their own space. I've got my space, you've got your space. We just sort of respect each other's space and we'll all get along uh, great. In fact, my family is trying to figure out right now how we're all going to function in a few days at Granny's house out in the country uh, for her 85th birthday celebration with kids and grandkids and great-grandkids all in the same house. Uh, three of those great-grandkids, babies, by the way, and so we're sort of racking our brains. What Are we going to get a hotel room? Are we all just going to pile in together? What are we going to do? Well, with my wife's uh, family, we wouldn't even be having the discussion uh, because when the family gets together, you can pretty well forget uh, personal space. This is one of those families where everybody just piles in together over the holidays, even if it's, you know, like 12 adults and nine kids or some random number like that. Uh, They're close, and that's a good thing. And because they're close, I remember when we heard of Aunt Carolyn's uh, breast cancer in April 2016, that that diagnosis weighed especially heavy on us. And we prayed, and we encouraged, uh, and we anticipated, and we clung to hope as she prepared for surgery and for many months of treatments to come. And then the very next month, in May of that same year, my in-laws showed up at our house, and we knew that more family would be coming later that night and the next morning for uh, my son's birthday celebration. It was a time to celebrate. But before any celebration could take place. My father-in-law slipped in his socks on our hardwood stairs and fractured his femur, landing him in Grandview Hospital for surgery. The surgery was successful. Uh, And Ashley's parents began their trek home to Arkansas the following Monday to begin rehab. And though Pops was still working, the accident meant several weeks away from work, a welcome development in his own mind. Next month, we decided to to press ahead and all continue our plans for our scheduled family vacation together uh, in June of that year at the beach, uh, even though Pops was still in a wheelchair much of the time. But while we were there uh, enjoying time together at the beach, uh, the phone rang and we heard that Ashley's 93-year-old grandmother was being rushed to uh, the hospital. So after a short deliberation, Uh, And with Pop still unable to drive, Ashley, my wife, set out with her parents on that nine-hour journey home to be with Meemaw in the hospital. The diagnosis came back rather quickly, a leaky mitral valve causing congestive heart failure, leaving two options, open heart surgery at age 93 or uh, medication and a diet change to reduce fluid retention uh, with no indication of, of how long her heart would last with no surgery. She opted out of the surgery. Well, the next year or so was uh, filled with chemo and radiation for Aunt Carolyn, uh, unexplainable rapid weight loss and weakening for Pops in the midst of rehab, and numerous doctor's appointments and medication and diet changes for Meemaw. 
It was both Meemaw and Aunt Carolyn living out of town. Uh, my in-law's home became a sort of base of operations of, of sorts during times of recovery and treatment and rehab or doctor's appointments. And all the while, Ashley's mother continued working full-time while doing all she could to love and to care and to house and to provide for her family. She's a strong woman. And we began to receive some, some good news. Uh, Aunt Carolyn completed treatment and appears to be cancer-free. Uh, Meemaw surprised us all with strength and stamina, continuing to serve the family with humility and love. Pops officially retired and began doing the things that he loved. We found out we were expecting a baby boy, and so we began getting our house ready for the new addition. Then on July 30th of last year, Ashley's mother shared with us that she too now had breast cancer. She'd be having surgery, ASAP, so she could be here the next month for the birth of our baby. She then began cancer treatment soon after. On August 31st of last year, baby Eli was born and we all celebrated God's blessing and his provision. During that time, Pops was a tremendous help with household projects, but waning strength and stamina continued to haunt him. Two weeks later, an ER doc ordered a scan and the news was heart-wrenching. Pancreatic cancer. Less than three very difficult months later, in December of last year, Pops died at age 66. And two months after that, in February of this year, Meemaw's heart suddenly gave out and she also passed. And all the while, my mother-in-law continued regular chemo, finally completing her cancer treatments this past May. And for two years, it felt like constant bad news, particularly For Ashley's mother. But praise God, she now appears to be cancer free. Now I know that many of you sitting in this room this morning have stories like this one. With different names, different dates, different details. In fact, some of you are living in stories like this right now. And if you aren't and you haven't, then you likely will. What are we to do, friends, when life goes sideways? How are we to live as people of faith in the midst of heartache? How are we to make sense of a good God in a world filled with so much suffering? You know, the Bible doesn't shy away from such questions, and neither should we. So church, let's journey together over the next few weeks into a true story of suffering Now, I know we come on Sunday mornings and we want to be lifted up. We come and we want church to be like a motivational pep rally of sorts to prepare us for a tough week. And no doubt we are going to praise God over the next few weeks. We've praised God this morning. We're going to continue praising God. But as we praise Him, as we praise this one who is worthy and good, let's praise Him with an honesty about the hardships of this life. Can we do that? There's people who trust in Him. Cling to the truth. Let's do that together. Let's open his word. Find your place in Job chapter 1. Let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's word. Just a little bit of backstory. I want to 
summarize the first five verses or so. So we're introduced to a man named Job who lived in the east, likely the east of the promised land, the land of Canaan. He was very wealthy, had numerous uh, animals, many sheep and donkeys and camels and oxen. Had a full house. He had ten kids, seven sons and three daughters. He was a spiritual man. He was upright in character. He feared God and he shunned evil. He was so spiritual that when his children got together and had uh, these celebrations, he was fearful that they had sinned in doing so. And so he would wake up early the next morning and he would make sacrifices for them, interceding on their behalf. We pick up the story in Job chapter 1, verse 6. Let's hear the word of the Lord. The Bible says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him in his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, verse 12, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Beginning of chapter 2 introduces us to a similar scene in heaven. The angels come before God. Satan comes with them. And God says to Satan, have, have you considered Job? He's upright. He's maintained his integrity, even though you have incited me or urged me against him. And Satan responds and says, well, if you strike Job himself, surely he's going to curse you to your face. And God says to Satan, very well then, that you must spare his life. Verse 7 So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin 
and what he said. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. And Lord, we thank you that your presence is with us. Father, we pray that you would guide us now, give us wisdom and clarity to understand the truths of your word and to respond in a way that glorifies you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, church, you may be seated. As we open this portion of God's word, may he speak to us. This is heavy stuff. This is weighty stuff, but as people who submit to the authority and the sufficiency of God's word, let's deal with this text. And let's let this text deal with us. So to begin with, what what do we learn about God here? One thing we see is that God knows us fully. God knows your heart fully. Scriptures teach right here, we see that God knows your heart fully. He is aware. So we're introduced to this sort of strange scene in heaven before God. Sons of God or angels coming before the Lord and Satan comes with them. Great deceiver shows up among them and the Lord says to Satan, verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job? Sort of imagine God smiling. He says, have you considered Job? There's no one on the earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. God says it again, a similar scene in chapter 2. It says he's maintained his integrity, Satan, even though you incited me against him. Of course, Job is presumably unaware of any of this. He doesn't know that this conversation is being had. God initiates the conversation, though, with Satan about Job. God notices Job's upright character, and he's pleased with it. Believer, God notices your faithfulness. He notices your faithfulness. God doesn't just take notice of our flaws. He also sees our faith. He knows us fully. David penned this truth beautifully in Psalm 139. He said, God, you discern my going out And my lying down, you are familiar with all my ways. He said, before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. God, you know me. You know my heart. You know my character. You know if my obedience and reverence is merely external because you know me on the inside. Not just every move, but every thought, every motivation, every response. So God says to Satan, look at Job. There's no one like him. What a servant he is to me. Friend, wouldn't you love God to say something like that about you? Have you ever done something and done something thoughtful or nice and no one seemed to notice and so you sort of said, see if I ever do that again. God noticed. Scripture says, the Lord took Note, he notices your faithfulness and God desires to display his glory through you. He desires to display his glory through you. He, he wants to use you. God wants others to look at your life and think, wow, his faith is strong. Her God is good. He lost his job and it didn't rock his world. She read the cancer report and she thanked God that the doctors found it or he's just as consumed and 
overburdened and busy as I am with work and kids and family and responsibilities. And he isn't bitter about it. He serves joyfully. What does it mean that God desires to display his glory through us? Well, it means he wants us to be satisfied in him. It means he, he wants others to look at us and be drawn to him. I even think it means that he, he wants to brag on us to Satan. That he wants to use us to be part of his plan to spread good news to the rest of the world. I think this gets at the heart of what Paul is saying when he describes believers as ambassadors of Christ. An ambassador is a representative. This is followers of Jesus. We, we represent God here on earth. We're invited and called and privileged to be a visible demonstration of who God is by the way that we live. So let's live for Him. Let's be people who live for Him. Job was living for Him. No doubt about it. In fact, the language that's used to describe Job is very similar to the language that's used to describe the, the ideal righteous person or wise person in the book of Proverbs. His priorities are right. He's devoted to the Lord. He leads his family spiritually. His love for God isn't tied to his health or his wealth. Likewise, friends, whatever you do, as Paul instructed us, Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. It's working for the Lord. It's work for him. Let's serve him in all things. He'll, He'll notice and he'll display his glory through us. Friend, God knows your heart fully. He knows you fully. However, there is another who would love to pierce your heart deeply. There is an enemy who hates God and who hates you. Satan longs to destroy you and diminish God's glory. Satan longs to destroy you and and me and diminish God's glory. According to God, Satan is not some figure of our imagination, he is real. He's alive and he's active. He's, he's looking for footholds and strongholds for anything and everything to drive a wedge between us and God. That's the picture of Satan we get here. In fact, twice the Lord says to Satan, Satan, where, where have you come from? Satan answers, from, from roaming throughout the, world, the earth, going back and forth on it. Tempter and a troublemaker. And he wants nothing more than to destroy our fellowship with God. And he will do his best to drag you and me away from the Lord and walking with him through pride, through guilt, through greed, through busyness, through pornography, through suffering, through any and every avenue to lure us to ask the question, did God really say? Is God really good? Does he really care for you? Peter warns us about this one. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 80. He writes to believers, he says, be alert. Be sober mind. In other words, pay attention. Think clearly. Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Looking for someone to devour. Peter continues the next verse. He says, resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers, that's a way of describing the church throughout the world, the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. 
wait a minute. Just like that, Peter normalizes suffering for God's people. You will suffer. You will suffer. The world is full of suffering, of pain, of heartache, of cancer and car wrecks and heart attacks and strokes and arthritis and persecution and terrorism and dementia and depression. There's no denying suffering is real. It's pervasive. There's also no denying that some folks suffer far deeper and longer than others. Job was one of them. And feel the weight and the rapid progression with which loss simply overcomes him here. Job loses all his children and all his possessions in a single day with disasters literally coming from every direction. Verse 15, from the south. Verse 16, fire from heaven. Verse 17, from the north. Verse 19, from the east. We may not suffer like Job, but you and I will suffer. There's no way around it, so let's be honest about it. Life in a world of sin is not all chocolate gravy and roller coasters. If those things don't appeal to you, then think of something you love. Those things appeal to me. We live in a world of public smiles and Instagram. And I don't care what sort of cutesy, tootsy picture you put on your Facebook profile. You ain't got it all together. And neither do I. Life is hard. Pain is real. I'm fragile. And so are you. So let's deal honestly with pain. It's people, let's deal honestly with pain. Let's admit flaws and failures and suffering and loss. If you're content with a distant God who has little control over the affairs of your life, then sure, keep the tough stuff to yourself. But if you want a heavenly Father who knows your heart fully and who longs to display His glory through your life and who cares deeply about, yes, the joy, but also the pain of living in a broken, sin-struck world, then admit your pain to God. Share it with Him. Cry out to Him. That's what Job is going to do. But like Job, do so with an ongoing faith that declares that He is who He says He is. What does Job do? After the sudden and total loss of everything, verse 20, Job fell to the ground in worship. Don't miss that. Satan was wrong. Satan comes before God. He says, Job, only, he's only devoted to you because he has everything. Suddenly he loses everything. And what does he do? He worships. He says, naked I, I came from my mother's womb, and naked I would depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. We're told in verse 22, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And furthermore, after being struck with terrible, painful sores across his body, Job said, chapter 2, verse 10, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Essentially, essentially, I think Job says, though the battle rages on, God is sovereign. Though the battle rages, God is, is sovereign. 
Yes, Satan longs to destroy us and to diminish God's glory. He roams the earth and he's looking to inflict pain and promote sin. But he can do nothing. Not to Job, not to you, not to me. Apart from the Lord's permission. Did you catch that? He goes. Or says, okay. Don't touch him. Second time he goes, he says, okay. But you must spare his life. God is sovereign. He's sovereign over Satan and over all. And though we often don't know how or when, we do know that in all things, Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. All things are not good. That's not what the Bible is saying or teaching here. All things are not good. Suffering is real. So let's be honest about it. But somehow... And some way, and in some time, God will work all things for the good of those who love Him. This was true in Job's life, and it's true in your life, believers. So let's trust God in the midst of trials. Let's trust Him. Let's trust Him in the midst of of trials and the highs and the lows and the joys and the sorrows and the tragedies and triumphs. Let's trust Him. See, from the intro of this story, we learn that, that we don't see all and we don't know all. There's a battle raging and a plot brewing and a king reigning that we don't often see yet we trust god because he has proven to be faithful time and time again this is what joseph said back in the day remember joseph son of jacob coat of many colors the one that was hated by his brothers sold as a slave after being thrown in a pit sold as a slave unjustly accused and confined as a prisoner. Listen to what Joseph said to his brothers when he finally was able to confront them years later. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Friends, Joseph was considered a criminal. And not for a night. For more than two years, he was kept in a dungeon in a foreign land. In order that, and and don't miss this, in order that God might grant him favor at the right time before the right king, leading to prosperity and protection for the descendants of Abraham according to God's promise. So that sometime later, many generations later, hundreds of years later, these Israelites might be prepared for the arrival of an undercover king who would also be treated like a criminal, crucified on a cross who could rightfully take the words of Joseph on his own lips, saying to the rulers who despised him, the crowds who turned on him, and the guards who killed him, you intended to harm me. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Friends, Christ Jesus came in God's way and in God's time suffering for sinners. And he will return in God's way and in God's time, forever satisfying former sinners now counted among the saved. And it's for this reason that the Bible instructs us, that James instructs us in chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters. Believers, be patient until the Lord's coming. To see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets, those who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered, he says. He says, you have heard of Job's 
perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Friends, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Those who know Him, those who trust Him, those who walk by faith in Him also know this. And so like Job, they can persevere with faith even through suffering. They are the righteous, meaning those counted among the Lord's people because they believe in Him. Church from Job, we see that the righteous praise God through plenty and through pain. The righteous praise God through plenty and through pain. Friend, praise God today. Praise God. For the same God who reigned in Job's day reigns today. The same Christ who suffered for you remains sovereign today. And whether you are in the plenty or the pain, for the righteous, the pain will soon be washed away. Friends, God-given vision Recorded in Revelation chapter 21, John says he heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Friends, soon the old order of things will pass away. Amen? In the meantime, may we, like Job, praise God through the plenty and through the pain. Lord, help us to do so. We acknowledge this morning that we are dependent on you for you made us and you remember that we are frail as dust. Father, we know that we need you and we also know that you are a God who rescues us and who is with us. Lord, who invites us in your compassion and grace to be your people. Lord, to know you and to know that we are forgiven and right with you and that we will live forever with you. Father, we long for the day. May we look forward to the day. May you so captivate our hearts and our lives that that we want to be with you. Lord, that you are our joy and delight and satisfaction. Lord, as as we wait for the day, Lord, help us to live for you. Help us to respond now as we continue dealing with the truths of your word, as your spirit continues working in our lives and our hearts. May we listen to you and may we respond in a way that glorifies your name. For you are worthy and you are good and you are sovereign. And we bow before you in worship. Lord, lead us to you. It's in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.